The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 14. Matt, did you just say that out loud? Hello everyone and welcome back. It's those two nerdy guys who like to talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. My name is Justin, and on the other microphone is my good buddy, Steven. Steven, say hi. Hello, everybody. I said you're on the other microphone as though you were in the same room with me. I wish you were in the same room with me. Oh, I know uh, that would be That would be so awesome. I, I think we would have to... Uh, there would be more equipment that we need in order to do that, though. I don't know how well it would work. Um, yeah. But we're... a uh, soundproof room. <laughs> but, yeah, we're a few hundred uh, miles away from each other, um, but that's okay. The wonders of the internet, uh, we can still do this together. So, man, are you doing all right this week? I'm doing pretty good. You know, yeah. it's uh, finally starting to cool off a little outside. Right. Um, it, you know, I can tell that sooner or later, autumn will be here. Right. <laughs> just like just uh, like in our story, you know, the, the days are, are getting a little bit cooler. Yep. Um, by the time we get to the end of tonight's episode, it's it's going to be uh, outright cold. But uh, unfortunately, we're still a little ways from there uh, in in, yeah. in the real world. So, um, yeah, man, I, I'm loving that. Uh, I, I noticed as we're um, getting ready to start, uh, I'm sitting here at my desk at my my window uh, where I can see out. Except I, I can't see my my backyard because it's dark. And <laughs> uh, just a few weeks ago, it wasn't dark. When we started recording. Um, So that means the days are getting shorter. And, you know, I'm one of those weird people. I know you're not, but I'm one of those weird people. Uh, I like it when the days get shorter. I like it getting dark a little earlier. So, Well, let's be clear uh, on that. Me personally, I love it when the days get shorter. But my work (laughs) does not appreciate it. Because it Uh, means I have to cram the same amount of work in to less time. Because I need daylight. Okay. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Um Man, it feels like we've been doing this a lot lately. We've recorded like three episodes in the past like eight or nine days. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we're yeah we're trying to it's... get caught up, but I think this week we'll get back on schedule. Not that I don't enjoy talking to you uh, <laughs> often, but uh, it's been it's been a lot, and uh, but now here we are, and um, and we yeah. are quickly approaching the end of uh, this book and this season. Well, all right. Uh, you ready to get into it? I think so. Yeah. Awesome. We've got quite awesome. A bit to cover tonight, so I'm excited. To dive yeah. In. Yeah. Let's hit the ground running in chapter forty. Damani betrayal. Exiting the way gate, it is soon clear that Leandrin has sold Egwene and the others to the Shanchan. Egwene is captured and forced to become Damani, but Nynaeve and Elaine manage to escape. While Egwene learns what being Damani will mean, Nynaeve and Elaine make plans to head to Falma themselves. But there's a darker question looming as we learn about a connection between Leandrin and the the Shanchan High Lady. There it is. See, my my, my old pronunciation of the the word (laughs) Shanchan came back to me right there. Uh, I, I pronounced it wrong for years until I finally, I guess, paid attention to the pronunciation guide um but man did uh did it get bad really quick in this chapter (laughs) pretty much from the second the chapter opens and they step out of their ways stuff just goes sideways it really is as soon as um as soon as Egwene stepped out of the way gate and you realize that they're not alone yep right there there is you know that there's trouble brewing and you know, at first you you kind of wonder, you know, what's going on? How did these Shanshan know to find us here? And even Egwene was wondering that. And 
then we find out that that's not exactly what happened. It wasn't that they just found them. They were tipped off. Yeah. By none other than Leandrin herself. And I know we've been, we've been kind of, which I, I think we both know where parts of the story are going with Leandrin, but there, there, you know, there have been little, um, things here and there that caused us to think, you know, maybe, you know, can, can she be trusted? What has she been doing for these months that, you know, after they left Faldara and, uh, she just disappeared? Is this what she's been doing? Uh, because apparently, uh, apparently she and this, um, Sean Chan High Lady, what, what's her name? Surath? Surath. Surath? Yeah. Apparently they have a common master. Yep. And, um, <laughs> I don't like the implications of who that master might be. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely somebody, you know, it's gotta be somebody pretty darn powerful and bad because to get, the Aes Sedai and the Shan Chan working together, and like yeah. they will make the point of for Leandrin to be able to leave after this whole exchange. You know, somebody has to be pretty scary for Suroth not to just take Leandrin too. Yeah, and I, I think I think we know who that probably is. I mean, it's not it's not said outright. But I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good, uh, suggestion, you might say, or hint that this master is, is bad news for real. And maybe now we know why Leandrin was so confident that the Black Aja exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so naturally the question I have was, was Leandrin there in the prologue? Right. I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that we'll ever actually get those answers, but I just like to throw that out there when, uh, you know, and maybe this has, you know, cause we know that in that prologue, you know, Baalzaman goes to each one of them and gives them like their own private mission, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this was part of her mission and, and, invo- and involved these, these, these two women because we, we find out that, um, Nynaeve and Egwene apparently are pretty important in this situation. Yeah. Uh, um, specifically them, almost to the, it's almost comical how little Elaine matters in this situation, considering who she is. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, she's literally the heir to a kingdom, and they're just like, well, you can have her too, I guess. She's, yeah, it's almost like her, a, do whatever. <laughs> I, I just had the, I just had the thought, it's kind of like the, um, uh, the graveyard scene in uh, book four, the Harry, fourth Harry Potter book, uh, Goblet of Fire, you know, kill the spare. Yeah. You know, uh, and she's not killed, obviously, but my point being is, is she wasn't supposed to be there and she is. And so she's just kind of caught up in this, you know, it just does because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, it does kind of lean a much darker light onto that. Uh, scene in the last episode where we talked about how Leandrin said she had made arrangements for them to be taken care of. I think yeah. we now know what that means. <laughs> I think we do. She wasn't trying to protect them from the Black Aja. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Why are Nynaeve and Egwene so important? That's that. That's the big question. I, I guess. You're giving me this face like 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 you know the answer, but you can't you can't tell me the answer. Uh, and you, you definitely know. you definitely can't tell our listeners the answer. I mean, there is. Let's we'll see. What do we know about them? We know that they are potentially uh, the two most powerful Aes Sedai that the world has seen in centuries, or two of yeah. the most powerful. So so we have Nynaeve, that. Nynaeve especially. Yeah. Um. Her level of power, especially once she's fully trained, would be something akin to what female channelers haven't reached since the Age of Legends. I right. Mean, she so, is like crazy yeah. power. So so we have that, but then there's the issue of, you know, isn't Elaine supposed to be kind of on par with Egwene? Yeah. In in her potential. So 
why why those two and not her? Uh, I guess another possibility is you know maybe something to do with the the blood of Manetherin. Um, I think there's know, a simpler answer. The old the old blood run, runs deep. Um, I'm just throwing out ideas, but you think there's a simpler answer? Is it something you can tell me? Yeah, I think this okay. one's. I'm not going to say this is the answer, but this is a simple answer that a lot of people could could reach at this point. Okay. Uh, their leverage. Okay, that makes sense. They're 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 basically they're pawns that can be used to manipulate Rand. Okay. If they're dead, they're no use. But if they're alive and somewhere, then potentially someone could use them against Rand to make him do what they want. Or any of the boys, for that matter. Yeah. So it's kind of a hostage situation, if you will. Pretty much. Okay. So they're they're trying to they're trying to you know Rand is ultimately the target, but these these two uh, these three, but especially those two, are are there for for that purpose yeah. to to lure in Rand. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happening, but I'm saying that's an easy answer to what's happening right here. It makes sense. E- even if there is a deeper answer, who knows? It could be part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and Nynaeve certainly picks up on the fact that they are the target. Um, yeah. As we, you know, we, we get a couple of points of view. We start with Egwene, and then there's that... We get separated from Nynaeve and Elaine, and later in the chapter we pick up with uh, Nynaeve and Elaine. And uh, Nynaeve has that realization that that they were the target. Um, yeah, Elaine's kind of an innocent bystander, and um, you know, those two get away. Yeah, thanks to uh, Nynaeve's temper, basically. <laughs> right, and it came on. It came on quick. Uh, those two get away, but unfortunately, Egwene does not. Yeah, and she become she gets this collar put around her neck and she is told she's to be the word. What's the word? Demani. Yep. Which means leashed ones. And then each Demani is connected to a woman known as a soldom, which means holder of the leash. And this is, let's just say it like it is. This is sick. Yep. This is a terrible, I mean, it's basically, it's basically enslavement. They are, you put a note in here is that the Demani are, they're not looked at as people. Nope. Uh, at, 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 and I, I can't believe I'm going to say it this way. At best, you, you wrote this, at best they're pets. Yeah. But I, I, I think, you know, ultimately they're, they're property. Yeah. They're, they're viewed that way. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, they're even, She's even threatened at one point with the fact that, you know, what they need her for, she's basically, she's there as an outlet to channel, and yeah. she doesn't have to have a tongue, or hands, need, or feet to do she any of that. Yeah, that, that's just, that's just awful. I mean, that, that, you know, I'm still holding my own that, that white cloaks are the worst, and, and we've, we've talked about that, you know my reasoning, but yeah. this, this is easily, um, one of the worst things that's done to anybody yeah. in these stories, I think. Because, and it's, it, it takes the slavery that existed in our real world and then takes it up to another level by subjugating not just the body, but the, the spirit of the person. Yeah. It's, uh, in a, a way that's just so absolutely twisted. Well, because they're they're not just physically connected by by this uh, Adam, this this leash. Yeah. Um, there are effects that that take place. Uh, I'm assumingly through the power. That this is some something that is related to the power because it, you know, all the women that are, are captured are women yeah. that can channel. And even just a little bit, it's mentioned at times, even women who can just channel a little bit are captured. But there's a lot of things that uh, this this link 
between the Damani and the, the Soldam do. And each one of them, I think, just, just makes the whole situation worse and worse. Um, any, any hurt that the Soldam feels is doubled for the Damani. Yep. Um, and, and Ele- uh, Egwene, those two names are so similar. They rhyme. <laughs> Elaine and Egwene. Um, Egwene kind of learns that the hard way, doesn't she? Yeah. Cause, uh, what, what's the, uh, uh, what's the Suldav's name? Is it Renna? Yeah. She, she it's pops Renna. What was it again? It's Renna. Yeah. Renna. You're right. Yeah. She pops Renna in the eye and she gets knocked back even harder. And even though, you know, she doesn't have any physical markings the way Renna does, she still feels it. Yeah. Uh, and then she's told, um, yeah, this is what's going to happen if, if any harm comes to me, even, even to the point of death. Um, I, I guess death can't be doubled, but the, I guess the pain she could feel. Yeah. In that. And the, there's a dark side to this even worse than what's pointed out here. Yeah. So not only does the Demane feel and be affected doubly for anything that the Soldan feels, that's not just if the Demane is the one hurting the Soldan. If right, that leash is she... connected, anything that happens to that Soldan, so it enforces this symbiotic trap for the Demane, even if they wish to let the Soldan get hurt, they, they are encouraged by self-preservation to protect the Soldan. Yeah. So they're they're forced in order to save their own lives, they have to protect the one that's enslaving them. Yeah. That's that's awful. This this is a, a terrible, terrible thing. Um but it gets worse. Yeah. Because apparently the Soldam can use the link to, to punish the Demane. Mm-hmm. And we find that out when, when um well there's a couple of things that happen with uh, with men uh where well there's a couple of times this happens, but one of them is is when um, Egwene speaks up trying to save men's life. Yeah. Because one of the Shan Chan soldiers wants to kill her because he he was injured by her uh, in in the the scuffle. Yeah. And when she speaks up, a couple of things happen. First of all, it calls the high lady's attention on her, which she's not supposed to do. Yeah. And and then just the shouting out causes Rana to cause this, you know, these different sensations uh through yeah. the link and it's it's very uncomfortable. By the end of it, uh Egwene is hunched over on Bella's back. Thank goodness Bella's still there, right? Yeah. Good good old Bella, Bella. is uh is a real champion here. So, yeah, it's it's pretty horrible, you know, and then later, you know, she will use it to basically cause Egwene to be feel like she's being switched and yeah. beaten with rods. I mean, yeah. there's there's so many ways in which they can manipulate. And part of me wonders uh, if, like, it's odd how this works, the connection here. Uh, because the things that it does are just so strange how it affects these people. Uh, it makes me wonder if some way or another, the power is actually involved in what's being done to her, or if it is just the device. Hmm. Yeah. So, cause we obviously the Adam are Terangriol. I mean, that's pretty much okay. the only, only answer there for what they are. They're not Angriol. They're not saw Angriol. Right. right. They're web, they're items just like, uh, the oath rod or the archways that, uh, Nynaeve went through their items that were made with the power to use the power in a certain way. Right. And, and later we do get a, a glimpse into their creation. We'll talk about that, I guess a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, I want to mention a couple of other things. I think we learn about this connection. Um, we learn that a demonic cannot channel without express command or permission. Well, we learned that they're not, supposed well right right but if they if they did and they weren't told to it's the soldom's gonna know yeah that's an interesting thing too is it's not that the soldom will know 
at all times, but the minute she puts the leash back on, yeah, she'll instantly know if the Sordom tried to channel, which is it's like this like the Sordom is like keeping score for them. Right. <laughs> it's right. It's and that, that comes up that comes up in, in um the latter chapter forty two. But even here, we, we find out that because because she gives uh, Egwene a command to do something to a tree. <laughs> I don't remember yeah. what the exact details are. Basically, and, uh, she commands her to turn the sap inside the tree, like yeah. to heat it up to the point that the tree explodes. Right, and and Egwene, uh, basically, she refuses to do it. Yeah, but she says to to Rena, I, I can't, I cannot. But Rena knows that she didn't even try. Yeah. Um, so so there's that connection too. So not only can they tell when when the when the Domine has channeled, but they can tell when they are channeling or when they're not. Yep. Um, so it's a terrible situation uh, that that we find Egwene in. Um, the only other thing I think would be worth mentioning is. Uh, it is brought up that men cannot hold the leash. Yeah, there was something here that I wanted to make a point of because I think it's it's interesting. So, men can't hold the leash, but sometimes if a man does, both the man and the demone go crazy. Right, right. And, it's... and they use that as a threat to mess with some nobleman <laughs> In the high court, which is well, let's, disturbing. Let, let's be honest; it's it's more than a threat. There's also some entertainment that they get out of it too. Yeah, that's how sick these people are. Yeah, which um, I'm curious, and you can let me know what you think on this. And this is just my personal theory, at least at this point. Okay. Um, I wonder if so. For most men, they could pick it up and put it on; it would do nothing. For some men. They just go nuts. I'm wondering if the men that it drives crazy are men who have the potential to channel. I, I saw where you were going there before you got there, and I, I like that idea. <laughs> I like that theory. Um, yeah. Because you're right. It doesn't affect every man that way. Yeah. Only certain ones, and that that would make sense. Yep. It, it would make perfect sense that, that it it do that to the men who... But But the question is, is... You know why? Why would it have that effect? I guess it could be in the way that it's made. Yeah. Um. Because it's something. If it's something of the power, it's something of Sidar, perhaps. Yeah. I and don't know. There's there are real dangers with Terangriol. Anytime you use them in the way they're not specifically intended, yeah. the backlash can be horrific. You know, it's. It may have just just for the sheer fact that a male channeler touches it could send the whole thing into chaos. Right. Like Terangriol are incredibly fickle and very tricky devices. And I'm sure so, we'll see more of that as we as we go forward. Um, yeah. There, there's more to say about the Adam and the connection uh, a little bit later on in a later chapter, but I think that's kind of all we really get here. Yeah. Uh, as far as you know, things that things that we learn. Um, so should we shift focus just a little bit and um, let's talk about Nynaeve and Elaine? Yeah. Um, so they they do manage to escape. Yeah. Um, almost yeah, uh, almost take one another out when they find each other again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's also interesting too. Uh, you know, Elaine even makes mention of the fact that they literally, when this horn sounded, that Sarath had them sound when they called off the hunt. Yeah. There were, she said there were literally two of them that could see me, and they just turned around and left. Following uh, orders. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I think I think we've learned that about the the, the Shan Chan is is you better follow orders. Yeah, order and rules are big deals for the Shan Chan. Yeah. Uh, it is better to follow the rules and follow the commands of those higher than you than to, you know, to do anything else. Yeah, even even if you think you're doing it for the right reasons, right? I mean... Yeah, it does not matter. Because how many, you know, how, how many soldiers would probably say, well, I've got her right here. I'm just going to go ahead and finish the chase. 
Yeah. And and then I'll be I'll be welcomed like a hero because I captured, but I got a feeling with the Sean Chan that would not be the case. No, if you if, probably if you broke an order, you'd probably just get your head chopped off. Yeah. I mean they I'm sure they would be glad that they have another another captive, but uh you're not gonna get out of that scot free. Yeah, and what's even even stranger about the Sean Chan? There are those amongst them that would probably, when they if they broke the rules, they went out, they captured Elaine and brought her back. I guarantee you, half of those Sean Chan soldiers would then bow down and stand there and wait for themselves to be beheaded, like they mm. would expect it and not fight it. Wow, <laughs> they are that conditioned. Yeah, uh, these that's soldiers. A good, that's a good word for it. I think that's a good word for. Sean Chan in general, because I think we see that um, as as we're going forward through some of these other other chapters. Yeah. It is a society that the children are basically conditioned and, for lack of a better term, brainwashed from the get go. Yeah, like to to certain standards and beliefs. Like it is uh, almost dogmatic in how the whole society is run. It's it's really something else. <laughs> and you've almost got me convinced. <laughs> uh, still not there. Just though. wait. Just wait. You don't even know the half of it yet. Uh, it it, get, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, really, the the um, the interaction at the end of the chapter between Nynaeve and Elaine is is realizing what's happened. Yeah, uh, Elaine is pretty broken up about her her role in the whole situation. She, she's called basically calling herself a coward. Um, you know, she's kind of saying, you know, she has no right to, to rule and or like, you know, mother better just go ahead and marry uh, Garth Brynn and have another daughter that way. You know, you don't have to worry about me, that kind of thing. Um, so she's, she's pretty, pretty distraught over this situation. Yeah. And it's spoken like, a child because yeah. she is. Oh yeah. And she has very little world experience. And Nynaeve is kind of like the little bit wiser, you know, she was the wisdom. She is a little older. She has a, mo- a little bit more world work knowledge. And she's real quick to knock this idea out of her head. Right. Because it's not cowardice. You know, it, it would have been tantamount to suicide to stay. Well, that's what, uh, isn't that something that that they say? Like you know, Elaine begins. Well, if I had, you know, if I had gone back and and died trying to protect them, you'd be dead. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that that There's and, this and notion what, of like an honorable death to sacrifice. Like she's got her head full of stories, basically. Yeah. But when you think about Elaine's background, where she's come from, you yeah. know, it makes sense that she would maybe have thoughts like that. Oh uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense for her character and her raising. Yeah, uh, Nynaeve on the yeah Nynaeve on the other hand has, you know, she yeah. she grew up in a small little out of the way village that many people have never even heard of, and you know hasn't had an easy life. Some yeah. people some people have had harder lives for sure, but Nynaeve has some more world experience. Yeah. Uh, than than Elaine does, um, so she really is. You know, Bella is the hero for Egwene. <laughs> yeah, um, Nynaeve is the hero in this scene, for sure. Yeah, it it really for the first time in the story, uh, you know, because we got Nynaeve in the first book, you know, following after them and wanting to protect them. This to me, in the end of this chapter, is the first time that we really see why Nynaeve, even at a young age, was named Wisdom. Yeah. Like, this is the first time we really see her step into that, uh, that protector, that role. She used, like, she earns that title of Wisdom here. Like, she is, uh, you know, takes command, despite the fact that she even says, you know, I'm angry and I'm doing this and I'm taking charge, but inside she's absolutely terrified. Yeah. But I, I, That's a good leader. She's able to push past that to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I guess you could say in some ways she's kind of being forced into it this time, though. 
Because, yeah. you know, the other time when the group got separated coming out of Shatter Logoth, she ended up with Moraine and Lan. So she didn't have to be the leader then. Now here she is, you know, separated from all of her, you know, two rivers kindred. Yep. With the basically born with a silver spoon in her mouth, daughter heir of Andor. Yeah. Uh, And she's got to take over and, and be the leader. So I really like that, you know, you brought up, you know, Nynaeve's, uh, her, her, her stepping up in this in this scene, her her standing out in this way. Yeah. Um, so that's really great. Uh, just real quickly, uh, Elaine raises an interesting question at the end of the chapter. Yeah. Maybe we can't cover this quickly. I don't know. Uh, all of the things that Leandrin told them to get them out of the tower. Elaine wonders. Was it true? Now we know, supposedly, that an Aes Sedai cannot lie. Yeah. Um, but the truth that you hear is not always the truth you think you hear. <laughs> so uh, I guess the main the main thing that she told him was what? That Rand is in danger and yeah. they could play a part in, in helping him or, or whatever. I mean, I guess it's not a total lie to say that Rand is in danger. Yeah, but given the nature of who Rand is, he's pretty much always in danger. Right, right. He may not be in immediate (laughs) danger. Yeah. But let's face it, there is danger coming along the way. But uh, certainly Leandrin was deceptive. Um, And there's nothing saying that, but there's nothing saying that an Aes Sedai can't be deceptive. No. And, <laughs> in fact, in fact, many people who have dealt with them kind of expect it. And how sure are we that a dark one's oath is really worth anything? Hmm. I mean, uh, not a dark one, a, a dark, dark friend. friend. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the other question too. Is is you know do do the oaths hold? Yeah. Right. I don't know. Let's. I, I guess you know. What are the other two parts? We don't see... Obviously, Leandra's not making any weapons. Uh, we don't see her using the power against anybody on this case. So, the only one that could be brought into question here is whether or not she told the truth. And honestly, I think everything she said could easily still be seen as truthful. Yeah, I think so, too. Depending on how you're looking at it. I think so, too. But that's the whole thing with the with the Aes Sedai. Yep. Is their words are true, but how are they true? Yeah, and who are they true to? <laughs> right. Um, so, but I think it's important that Elaine raises that question and and gets us thinking. Yeah, about those possibilities, because I think we're gonna have more questions like that coming up in the future. Because I'm pretty sure this probably isn't the last we've seen of Leandrin. Yeah. And uh, it's probably not going to get any better than this. Uh, I don't know how it could get worse, but yeah. it's not going to get any better for sure. Uh, shall we move into Chapter 41? I think it's a good idea. Yeah, because we're 35 minutes in. <laughs> yep. uh, this chapter is titled Disagreements. Three days after their arrival on Tolman Head, Rand's party continues their march toward Falma in the, in the middle of a cold rain. Information about the Shan Chan from surrounding villages has provided as many questions as answers, but one thing is for sure is that the villagers are terrified of them and their monsters. Taking shelter in an abandoned village, members um, members of the party have different opinions about what their next step should be, and in the night, Rand receives a visit from an old enemy. Dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah, um, you know we'll we'll get uh, there, but that um, that came as a real surprise at the end of the chapter. Yeah, I was definitely not expecting that, and then there it is. But we'll get there at the end of the chapter. Uh, where do you want to start here in chapter forty-one? Um, you know we get 
this little bit of insight before we really get into everything that's going on here and with the people. I wanted to bring up, you know, Rand is kind of ruminating at the beginning here. You know, he's looking out into the storm. They're out in it. And he, to me, it's just almost, it's just very interesting, the dichotomy here um, that we see between Egwene in the last chapter and even Nynaeve to some extent, and mm-hmm. uh, Rand in this chapter. So, like, Egwene doesn't think that she'd be able to heat up that tree right? because she's too far away from it. Right. Nynaeve is able to, you know, call lightning and stir the winds and things like that. We see her do some pretty interesting stuff. Rand here is just offhandedly, like... If I was to reach out to to Sidene, I could whip this storm up to the point that it would just wipe Toman Head clean. Right. Basically, he's saying I could make a freaking hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like the the level of disparity here between what they think they can do, whether or not Rand could actually do that or not, is just mind boggling to me. <laughs> it's like, okay, Rand, you've channeled a couple times, and I think maybe that has to do with the fact that. One, typically the male channelers are more powerful. Yeah. And two, while Rand has channeled less often, the things he's done when he channeled were of a much higher magnitude. Yeah. Like you know, especially thing, if you take into account the end of the first book. Right, right. And and just some of the things we've seen him do here. The thing that uh, that kind of stood out to me, or the, maybe the thing that disturbed me, about uh, this this thought that Rand is having is, you know, their concern, his concern, because he asks Varen about it, you know, couldn't you do something about the rain? And then he thinks to himself, I could do something about the rain. And how quickly he goes from, I could do something about the rain, to I could wipe out all of Toman Head with a storm. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> Snap. It's like, R- Rand, <laughs> chill out, dude. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, just just calm down. Let's think about this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's also really shed some light on the difference between how Rand is learning to channel and how the girls are learning. The right. girls are being led step by step, gradually. Rand is just, like, the girls are being taught how to do certain weaves. Yes. Rand is just deciding, I think I need to be able to do a thing, and he just hurls the power at it until he figures out how to do what he wants. Yeah, let's... let's <laughs> He's just throw, like a sledgehammer. I say, let's <laughs> let's throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Like, or just, <laughs> just like, like throwing darts at the, at the map, and, and that's where we're going to go on vacation kind of thing. Yeah. Like, he's um, done absolutely nothing with the weather before. <laughs> Right. He just now seems to assume he can control it. <laughs> and it's just could like, he? really? Really, Rand? <laughs> could he? <laughs> Do you think he could? I think he could definitely cause some destruction. Yeah. Whether he could control it, I don't think so. I think he would definitely mess some stuff up. Yeah. Uh, wow, that guy. Um, let's keep an eye on him. He, he's starting to get a little worrisome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things that I wanted to mention just real quickly, just a couple of little details that I thought were worth bringing out. Uh, first of all, uh, the fighting between um, the uh, Terraboners and the, the Domini, uh, or D- Domani. Um, so here's real quick. It's uh, the Domani yeah. is the ones with the leash. Yeah. The Domani... So yeah, it's just that the that, only difference is an A and an O. It's subtle little difference, <laughs> but it's so close. It's probably going to sound like we're saying the same thing. Yeah, uh, it does most of the but, time. So, so Terraboners and Domani. Yep. <laughs> uh, emphasize that O. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're fighting each other. Yeah. On Almuth Plain, which we kind of in an earlier chapter saw the seeds of that being sown. Yep. With uh, I, I forget the uh, the commander of the questioners, but uh, we kind of oh, uh, uh, it, it, his name's not important right now. But yeah. uh, we kind of sussed out that 
that's what he was trying to do because he had his men dressing as one or the other and raiding villages near the 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 borders of those two countries and it did exactly what we expected it would. We've got these folks yeah. fighting with each other now. It started a civil war. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess not really a civil war because they're two different well, yeah, countries. Yeah, it just but started a war. Yeah, started a war between uh, Eridomon and, and Terabon. Um, so, so I thought that was worth mentioning. And then uh, Ingtar is still... He's still not sure this is the right idea. You know, yeah, he's, I think, he's still questioning whether or not they should even be here. You know, my question is, you know, th- this is one of those situations where, you know, you have somebody, you know, who's who's complaining, who, who doesn't like the idea. Well, well, what's your idea? And he doesn't really have one either. He doesn't know what to do. He just knows that this is not, um, to him, doesn't seem like the best the best strategy. Yeah, I would be really interested to know exactly what Ingtar saw in the Flicker Flickers. Because ever since they got through that portal stone, like he was obsessed with the form before. But in this yeah. chapter, he almost seems like a man dying of thirst. He right. need, It's like he needs the horn. And he kind of he kind of uh, says it that way. He says, I must have yeah. it. Yeah, and Huron, quietly in the background, and the book... And the, and the the book almost makes it as an afterthought. Huron is just like, but that's not the way. And nobody, right. nobody listens nobody to says, Huron at all. Yeah, he just says it, and then they keep going. It's just I'm, like, I'm, oh, Huron. Yeah, I'm you kinda, get it. <laughs> I'm curious about that, but I just, oh man, uh, it was just such a passing comment. There's not really anything said about it. Uh, yeah. I will. I will say this in Ingtar's favor. At least he is willing to, you know, he's willing to send Huron out scouting, trying to find this trail. Yeah. Um, which which my, my summation of why they haven't found the trail yet is they just haven't come across it. Because they, yeah. they didn't get to Toman Head by the same way. Well, that, and there's a lot of things to draw Huron's nose. Well, because of all uh, the different... All stuff the war, that's going on, yeah. Plus the stuff, the horrible things that they're finding in these villages that are yeah. done by the Shan Chan. Yeah, there was that one village that you know, Hiran yeah. just walks in the village and and he pukes. Yeah. Um, because it was just it reeked so bad, and the the people there wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. Like there's still this burn mark in the middle of town, but uh, nobody really will talk about what happened. Yeah. It's indicated that they were most likely killed using the power. I think is the indic what we're supposed to draw away from that. Okay. Uh, I was, I you know, I didn't, I didn't latch onto that, but I guess that makes sense now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's basically not only were these people killed, but they were killed in a way that these people their entire lives have been told I said I can't do. Like, Aes Sedai, over and over and over, everyone is taught that Aes Sedai can't use the power as a weapon. And all of a sudden, the Shan Chan show up with Aes Sedai, and yeah. they can definitely use it as a weapon. You know, that that's something um, I, I noticed, especially in this chapter, is, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of different ideas about what exactly makes an Aes Sedai. Yeah. It seems for, for most people in the world, just being able to channel the power makes you an Aes Sedai. And I think I think we know it's it's a little bit deeper than that. Because yeah. you know, there's the training in the tower, that kind of thing. But to the masses in the world, if you can channel yeah. your Aes Sedai, Matt even hints at that. Yeah. Like he even looks well, at it, Rand at one point and says, like, that makes you Aes Sedai. <laughs> yeah, and and nobody apparently picks up on that. I was right. just like Shut up, Matt! Matt, did you just say that out loud? (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, nobody is listening. It's like, okay, wow. All right, guys. (laughs) I was like, red flag! Red flag! (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of crazy, just everything that's happening here. Um, Yeah. So, with Ingtar's reluctant to think that they've actually followed the right path and his things like that. Rand finally starts kind of trying to give a little more information, but he's yeah. still really trying to hide stuff. 
you know, why I, I, I was curious about that. I want to know what you think. Um, why do you think Rand waited until now to reveal all of Rand's, uh, of Fane's message, to, to especially to reveal the part about his threats toward uh, um, Emmons Field? Well, that part of the message he is what he wiped away on the floor before any of the eyes that I could see it. So Varen doesn't know it, for one. And Ran is absolutely determined to not be the dragon. And he doesn't want anything else to tie him specifically to the things that are going on, to the horn. He wants to be there as a friend to Matt, but he want, he is tired and he is fighting with all he can to keep leashes from being tied to him is in yeah. his mind. You, you you mentioned him wiping the message away in Faldar. I thought this came from uh, Barthanus when he Both. got that he he got that message from from Fane through Barthanus that he was heading to Toman Head, and if Rand didn't follow, there oh, would be consequences. Yes, yes, yes you are correct. Yeah. He got the message that Fane wanted to meet him on Tom Head was in the prison cell, but the part about Edmund's field was Barthanus. That's right. That, that was in that message, but yeah, the, the, the latter part came from Barthanus, but you know, I just, you know, it just seems, you know, I guess there's several reasons he could wait till now to reveal it. I get what you're saying about, you know, just kind of trying to, you know, not have all these, for lack of a better word, leashes tied to him. Uh, that's not a good word in, in present context. Um, I think it makes lots of sense given the present context. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, <laughs> but you know, just at, at this moment, I guess, I guess it was a, you know, look, you know, this is an all or nothing type situation. We got to yeah. do this. Yep. Um, and, and there's also this gnawing doubt now because of the time jump you know, the loss of four months. Yeah. Rand, in his mind, is also starting to worry that because Huron can't find the trail, what if Fane has already left and he's already on his way or has gotten to the two rivers? Right, right. You know, he there's this gnawing doubt inside of him now that maybe he's too late. Yeah. All right. Um, let's fast forward to later that night. And, and this may be where we where we call it a night or, or call it an episode for this week. Cause we're already, uh, almost an hour in. Yeah. Um, I think it may have to be. And there's quite a bit <laughs> to cover in this little section. Listeners. We tried to get three chapters this week, but I don't think we're going to get there. Um, but Hey, it's just more, more of our lovely voices you get to hear, right? Yep. I don't know. You think that'll actually bring people back? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, okay. Uh, middle of the night. Rand is trying to... He's, he's he's having trouble sleeping. It sounds like he's been tossing and turning. He's considering grabbing the dra- dragon banner and using it as a blanket. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think that would be a good move. But some point in the night, he rolls over, and Balsamon is standing right there. In his room, yep. with the dragon banner in his hand. Yep. And what ensues is, I guess, in many ways, not too different from the interactions they've had before. Balzaman is, you know, telling him, you know, oh, we fought, you know, many times before. You've served me before. You've died before. You will die. Uh... You know, I think Rand even says at one time, I will, I'll die before I serve you. And Baalzaman claps back, you will die. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess one question that I, I, I wanted to bring up is there, is there anything new in, in this pitch? And the best answer I could come up with is there is, for lack of a better word, an offer to train him. Yep. <laughs> uh, and and that, 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 that comes after Rand embraces Sidene with the intention of 
hurling hurling it at Balsamon. We'll talk about that in a minute, uh, a little bit more. But Balsamon does, you know, says, "Hey, I can I can help you gain control. I can." He even says he can stop the madness, which yeah. is something that really stood out to me because, you know, I've kind of been led to believe that this is just the, the fate of male channelers. But, you know, I don't know. Then again, if it's the dark one who's involved in this, I mean, it is his taint. So maybe he's got the, you know, Mr. Clean Magic Eraser for Sidene, something like that. <laughs> um, but was there, was there anything else that was really, uh, new about their, their, their back and forth, their, their conversation? Um, so there's definitely some new things that are happening during the conversation, but as to like actually what's said, um, there's not a ton of new. There is the fact that he is now 110,000% assured that who he's talking to is Luz Theron in his mind. Right, because like he... In the first book, he was trying to narrow it down to the three. Yeah. Now, he knows it, and it's not just that he's a shepherd with a sword anymore. It's he started referring to Rand as Luz Theron. So he's, he's acknowledging that Rand is the Dragon Reborn. Yeah, at least he thinks he is anyways. Yeah. He is and I guess that would be assured of it. I guess that would come from their last, uh, well, I guess not their last meeting, but the the altercation at the end of book one, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's going to be anybody, it looks like it's Rand with all the things that he pulled in that moment. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's definitely sure, or thinks he's sure, that this is, um, that's who he's talking to for sure. Yeah. Um, what about Rand drawing on the power here? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting what he does here. Yeah. Um, where's it? Here we go. Okay. Yeah, he he barely realizes what he's doing. Uh, he just grab like he just reaches into the void. Sidene is there, and he just grabs it. Right. And then he just wildly, without even focusing it into anything, just hurls as much of the power as he can at Belzmon. And what so, effect does that have? <laughs> an interesting one, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. So, for one, Belzmon takes a step back. Uh, That's a step in the right direction. Yeah. And then uh, cloaks himself in shadow. And the power sinks into the black mist and vanishes, soaked up like water on a parched sand. So, some, he's basically, he's redirecting what Rand is throwing at him into this dark mist that he's brought with him this time that's not there the last time yeah. he met him. So, he's, he's brought uh, reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense. Some, something or another, yes. Yeah, he's. So what you're saying is basically what he's doing is he is basically like redirecting what Rand is doing into this mist, and yeah. it pretty much has a nullifying effect. For the most part, I mean, it is still troubling for Balzaman. Right, like it's not trivial, and I think he's mostly afraid that we're gonna. And just like with that orb scaring uh, Celine back earlier in the book, okay. Rand is doing it again. Rand is drawing too much of the power. He's about to overload. Uh, and it's terrifying to him. You know, Balzaman says, fool, you will destroy yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, and, you know, Rand is pulling on so much of it, uh, his flesh seems so cold, it must shatter at a touch. It burned as if it would boil away. His bones felt on the point of crisping to cold crystal ash. But he did not care. It was like drinking life itself. You know, it, it's... 
Rand is developing a problem here. <laughs> uh, he's I, I pulling would say in. So. He's pulling in so much. He's so focused on doing what he wants that he's not paying attention to his own well-being. Uh, to the fact that his enemies are more afraid for his life than he is. Oh, right. <laughs> but, you know, something that... And maybe I, maybe I misread it. Maybe I read something into it that wasn't there, but it almost came across to me as though what he was doing was intentional and that his intent was to take Baalzaman with him. Like he was, it was kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm going to take myself out, but he's going with me. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe I'm going to take him out and if I have to go with him, so be it. You know, he was prepared, I think, to make that sacrifice. That's, that's something that I kind of picked up on. I don't know if, if that's there, maybe if, if I just misread it. I don't it, see but. it as being that conscious on Rand's part. I think he's doing this by instinct more than anything. Okay. I don't see, I don't see a lot of deliberate intention behind it because we've seen him deliberately channel. You know, he channeled in the last big fight at the end of the book, of into the other world, he, you know, channeled it into the sword of light. And that fire and everything like that. He's not doing any of that here. He's not yeah. trying to fight. He's just hurling pure power. It's undirected. It's not concentrated into anything. He's just basically turning himself into a conduit. And just throwing power out into the ether. There's no rhyme or reason for it. It just shows to me how little Rand understands what he's doing. Okay. All right, I, I can I can buy that. I mean, I'm I just you know. Uh, I think you're right about intent. Like he is determined that he's going to take Belzamon out. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I just don't think he understands what he's doing or how he's doing it. And this just comes more and more to show that he does need a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Which which Belzamon offers. <laughs> yeah. All you um, have to do is serve. Bow all, all to has, me. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a fair trade. Um. <laughs> Which, it's inter one interesting point I wanted to bring up. Uh, Balzaman has shifted significantly into wanting Rand to serve him. The more and more we saw it shift as we went through the first book. Uh, and now, specifically, he wants Rand to serve him. He's offering him bribes. He wants Rand to bow the knee. Okay. It's interesting to me that back in our Flicker Flipper Flicker episode, all those lives that Rand lived, not a single one did that outcome happen. That is interesting. He was he was told that he lost every single time, but we never see a life where Rand bent the knee. Hmm. Just something I wanted to bring up there because it stuck with me. Well, that's definitely given me something to think about. Listeners, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, had, I hadn't really thought about that, but you, you make an excellent point on, on that regard for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, just as quickly as he was there, Balzaman's gone. Mm -hmm. leaving, leaving no evidence behind, right? No. <laughs> no, there was a little bit of evidence left behind. Um, all of Rand's stuff was put back where where it was supposed to be. The Dragon Banner back in his saddlebags, but uh, uh, there was evidence that Balsamon had been there. Um, yeah. On the chair. Uh, his, his, the, the chair back was still kind of smoking a little bit. Yeah, which is, is telling, and it is, that, to me, is a big difference between all the other dreams we've had so far. Um, because, while we have seen dreams have an effect in the waking world, they have always been either directly attached to one of the boy's physical body, or to some other living object. Like with the rats finding all the, their neck, neck snapped, yeah. those were living things. 
this is the first time that we see one of these supposed dreams having an effect on a non-living object in the real world. Okay. So I want to ask you the question. Do you think this is a dream? You know, I was wondering that myself as we were reading. Or as I was reading. Even even from a even from just like a writing standpoint, it doesn't seem like it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Like even just in the way that it's written, it doesn't feel that way. It it feels I mean, it it felt like Balsamon was literally in that room. Yep. Standing there, you know, with the dragon banner in his hand, putting his hands on that chair and, you know, causing it to burn uh, or smolder. Uh, but then, you know, just the way that it, it just suddenly ended, you know, it does that that leans toward it possibly being a dream. But I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's somewhere in between. You know, maybe there's something going on here. There's something to do with dreams that, you know, I don't know. There is clearly something, and we've been seeing this since really the one of the very first, if not the first, Balsamon dream with the rats that you mentioned. Uh, there's something mm-hmm. more than a dream here. Yeah. Um. So I, I you know, the my answer to the question is I don't know. Yeah. Um. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, maybe it's yes and no. I can't really say one way or the other. I don't want to give anything away for anybody going forward, but I just wanted to get your opinion on it, and I think the readers should definitely think about it. I wanted to seed that into our listeners' minds, uh, see what their thoughts are on it. Well, there you go, everybody. You've got homework. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well... Since we're already at an hour and uh, we're only through two chapters, we're going to call it an episode for this week. So, listeners, uh, if you went ahead and list, uh, read chapter 42, uh, you did a little extra work. Hey, you're just a little bit ahead of the game for next week. Uh, but we will cover chapter 42 next week on that episode. So, um, we'll just keep the things that we've been thinking about there and come back on that. Steven, do you have any final thoughts for us this week? Um, just encouraging our listeners, uh, as we go forward into these next several chapters, take your time, enjoy the ride. Uh, there's a lot happening in these next few chapters, so don't rush. Take your time and really pay attention to the details. You'll appreciate it. There we go. Um, as for me, you know, um, mentioned white cloaks in this episode, we're seeing the effects of what some white cloaks are doing in this episode, but we didn't actually see any white cloaks. So I'm thankful for that. But Steven is, uh, he may be starting to turn me. I I don't know. I, I, I despise the white cloaks for their hypocrisy. But the the Shan Chan are pretty despicable. Yeah, they're they're pretty despicable people. Um, you know what? They're both the worst. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, I think you can look at it this way. Um, I think we see some of the worst people among the white cloaks, specific yeah. individuals. I think the Shan Chan is less about individual people. And more about a society as a whole. Okay. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, uh, because I I'm sure there are good people amongst the Shan Chan, but their society is corrupt to the core. I don't know. We haven't seen any yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I'm, see now I'm going to need a new catchphrase though. <laughs> well, no, don't I'm get not. me wrong. The white cloaks are still pretty darn bad. I can say, no, I'm not. White cloaks are still the worst. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. So, 
Uh, listeners, we want to say thank you for joining us as always. And you can find new episodes on Tuesdays uh, in your uh, favorite podcast platform. We would encourage you to subscribe so that you get those episodes when they're released. We would also love it if you would leave us a rating and a review wherever you're able to do that. Please uh, please do that for us. Um, you can find us on uh, various social media uh, sites. We're on Twitter at Wind Beginning, Instagram, uh, The Wind Was a Beginning. Uh, we're on Facebook and YouTube at uh, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. Uh, you can also email us, thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. And reach out to us after, you know, we've asked some questions in this episode. Let us know what you think uh, is going on. What do you think about the dream uh, between... Baal Zaman and, and Rand, or, or if it even was a dream. What do you think about Rand's decision to, you know, reveal more things now than he did before? What do you think about what's going on with Egwene and, and the others? You know, we would love to hear from you, get your thoughts on some of the things that we're talking about. Stephen, uh, we know we're talking about chapter 42 next week. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, the, what other chapters are we doing next week? So I think we'll do uh, chapters 42 through 44. 42 through 44. So uh, if you've already read 42, if you want to read it again, that's fine. Uh, if, if not, just you're a little bit ahead of the game, however you want to do that. Uh, but those will be the, the chapters we discuss next week, and we hope you will come back and uh, join in on the fun as well. Uh, it's fun for us to talk about it. It's not fun what's going on in the story. Uh, yeah. But we do enjoy talking about it together. We enjoy getting to talk about it uh, for you. Uh, other than that, I think that's going to do it for us this evening. So uh, we'll go ahead and sign off and hope that you will come back and be with us next week uh, as we continue our discussions of The Great Hunt. Good night, everybody. Night, folks. <laughs> <laughs>